I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've got uh, I've got something on the board I want to call to your attention. What these have in common. The 70th week of Daniel. Of course, we went through the 69 weeks. The 70 weeks were determined upon Israel. Gabriel comes to Daniel at the time of the evening oblation and he tells Daniel, God, you're greatly beloved by the Lord. Boy, I wish the Lord say that to me in person by an angel. He said, you're greatly beloved by the Lord. And Daniel's crying out, how long are we going to be in captivity? Daniel had no idea it was going to be a long time after he's dead and gone, they're going to be captive. I keep saying this. Everybody is familiar with the 400 years of Israel being in bondage in Egypt. And believe it or not, that bondage starts in Exodus, the first chapter, and ends in Exodus, the 12th chapter. Everyone is familiar with that. A new Pharaoh rises up that's not familiar with Joseph, and he sees the children of Israel multiplying at breakneck speed. So he says, we got to kill off all of the babies that are born that are male. And one is spared in Exodus, the second chapter, and that's Moses where he's putting in this little ark and putting the bulrushes and put into the Nile River and it goes down and the Pharaoh's daughter finds him, takes him in, makes him a uh, uh, prince of Egypt. And they, the amazing thing, the Bible says that they take him to his mother for her to nurse him. She gets to nurse him and take care of him while he's a baby. And then he grows up as a prince of Egypt. Well, all these things happen. God calls Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And then they go over here and they're 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. They leave, they leave Egypt in the 12th chapter. They drown Pharaoh. God drowns Pharaoh in the 14th chapter of Exodus. And they're in the wilderness for 40 years. Then they come into the land and Joshua leads the people into the land because Moses can't come because Moses was rebellious against God. God told him to speak to the rock in the wilderness in the 20th chapter of Numbers. And Moses gets mad because the people are griping because they don't have anything to drink. And Moses strikes a rock twice and God says, just for that, Moses, you don't get to go into the land. Don't ask me why God would take something like that and keep Moses out, but he did. So, they get into the land. Joshua goes into the land and conquers all the land. Joshua's the one that leads them out of this wilderness down here, comes up here above the Dead Sea, crosses the river right here, about right across from Gilgal. That's the first place that they camp, Gilgal. He leads them against Jericho. He leads them against Ai, and they conquer these people. Now, God has tells Moses as they're going into wilderness, if you do not obey me, I'm going to 
send four judgments upon you. Those judgments are true today just as much as they were back then. Here's the point. He said, if you do not obey me, that's the key right there. Obedience. Obedience to God. There's two parts to this in Deuteronomy 28. There's two parts. If you obey in verse 1, he says 1 through 7, he said, I'll fill up your storehouses. If you obey, you'll have more corn and wheat than you can eat. And he says, I'll fill up your basket. When you go out to gather, you'll have more than you can carry. And your storehouses, your store. And he said, I'll fill up your fields with the best crops. Fields. You'll have the richest crops. You'll have what's called the fat of the land. The fat was the richest crops, the best cattle. But he says in verse 15, if you're not obedient to me, it all goes back. This is a contract. This is a covenant. That's what a covenant is. A covenant is a contract. Here's my conditions. Obedience, you get this. One other thing that you'll get if you obey you go against your enemy one way and your enemy will flee seven ways. Now here's the point. It does not matter how big your enemy is, they will not be able to conquer you. It can be the entire uh Babylonian Empire they couldn't conquer you he had saw he had he had uh, one man Samson go against a thousand Philistines and he killed them all with the jawbone of an ass how he could do that I don't know it wasn't that he looked like Hercules or looked like some muscle man wasn't it it was because of obeying God now, Saul, now, Samson wasn't always obedient, but he said, if you're not obedient to me, your enemy will come against you one way, and you'll flee seven ways. And there's times where they were totally outnumbered. Asa, the king of Israel, had 500,000 in his army, and he went against the, he went against the Ethiopian, they had over a million people in their army and they had 500 chariots of iron. The chariots of iron had wheels on them and they had these scythes sticking out like that. You couldn't stand against chariots of iron. They would come in and just rip bodies all to pieces. But since Asa was such a righteous man and he'd gotten rid of all the Baal gods in Israel... God says, you're going to win. And he did. You know what that makes Israel? When you can rule everybody else. What did I say the other day that makes them? Does anybody remember? That makes them the heavens. 
when you look up heavens in McClinic and Strong, the first thing it will say, governments that rule people. And Israel could rule people. And when there was new heavens, the reason God says new heavens, there'll be new rulers and that'll be the Gentile church. All you have to do is obey me to be the heavens. And that's what the heavens were, is the ruling class. Now, I want to get on with where we are. Israel kept disobeying God. They kept doing what chapter, verse 15 of chapter 28 says, Don't do. God says, I'll send these judgments. The sword. Your enemy will come against you. They'll crush you. Then you'll have famine. The sword and the famine go together. And the pestilence goes with it. Because those people, when they come in to attack Israel... They would surround Israel. They would, like, this would be one city, Jerusalem. They would come in and have a siege against them. They would block off all the roads into Jerusalem, block everything off. They wouldn't let any food or water get in there. The people would run out of water, and then God says, I'll cause you to eat your children. Now you say, I wouldn't eat my children. After so many days, their children would start dying without food. And in the sixth chapter of Second Kings, there's a lady. They go to the king and say, King, she said yesterday we'd eat her baby. We'd eat uh, my baby yesterday and then we'd eat hers today and she won't give us her baby to eat. And the baby would already be dead because it had been died. It had died of starvation. And you'd read the 19th chapter of Jeremiah, and the Bible says they killed their children and ate their children. When you read on in that 28th chapter, God says, "I will cause such starvation in Israel that the wife will say to the husband, you 'You can't have the baby to eat. I'm going to eat him.'" I've had people say, I never heard that. Preachers don't preach that it's in the Bible. He said, I'll make make you so thirsty, make you so hungry, you'll drink your own urine and eat your own dung. That's what God told them, and they did. You say, I wouldn't do that. Have you ever gone eight weeks without food? Huh? And you're just starving and salivating, and you take anything... And that's what they did. God said there in, Je- in Lamentations that they boiled their babies and ate them. Now that was one of the judgments of God. Then he says, the last thing I'll do, I'll send the beast. That's the last judgment when you're not obedient to me. The beast was Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, and then Rome. They all followed one another because they overthrew one another. Whenever Babylon fell, Babylon was southern, was in the southern area. Northern Babylon was Assyria. So they are both basically the same. Assyria carried northern Israel captive in 722 B.C. Southern Israel, which was was carried away by Babylon that was Judah 
Judah was was called southern Israel. It was comprised of the tribe of Benjamin and Judah. So God sent after the Israel was a nation for 500 years going after the tree goddess and the sun god Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech and Venus and Isis and Osiris. They were going after all the gods of Egypt, all the gods of the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, all these ites they went after. You can find that in Ezra, the ninth chapter. Right in the first three verses, you can see they're going after all these. So God says, that's why I will scatter you, and I'll use the beast to do it. Babylon will come along first, then Babylon will be overthrown by Persia. Babylon is Iraq. How do you know that? It's on the Euphrates River. The Euphrates. You heard him in the news talking about the Euphrates. It's right there. Here's the Euphrates River right here. It's the most powerful river in that area of the world. It ships everywhere. And the Tigris is right above it. And this is called Mesopotamia. I remember hearing Mesopotamia when I was in elementary school. And that was like something foreign so far away in my mind, I could not ever figure it out. If somebody had shown me a map when I was in the fourth grade and said Mesopotamia means between the rivers between the Tigris and the Euphrates River are Iraq. That right here, that's Babylon. And Assyria is up here, northern Babylon, between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea, up in this area. So that's northern Babylon. That that was overthrown by Persia, which is Pakistan, Afghanistan, all the stands, there's about seven of them. That was Pakistan. And then Pakistan, or Persia, overthrew Babylon. And then Persia was overthrown by Alexander the Great in Greece. And then Alexander the Great, his generals were subjugated by the Roman Empire. So you got these four represented beasts. The lion, that's Babylon. The bear, that's Persia. It's really interesting to notice why was Persia the bear? The bear is the largest carnivore. It's the largest flesh-eating animal in the world. The Kodiak and the polar bear are a contest as which one's bigger. When they stand up and raise up their paws, they're 17 to 18 feet tall. Can you imagine something twice the height of these ceilings trying to confront them in the wilds? I can't imagine it. Persia had the largest armies that ever existed. They attacked Carthage with about two and a half million people in their army. We've never had an army like that. 
I don't know how they fed them every day. And then you had the leopard, Alex the Great. He was... The leopard is one of the finest killers out on the plains. It is a deadly animal. A bear may pick you up, shake you, and throw you on the ground and leave you wounded where you could survive. A lion might do the same thing. If you get attacked by leopards, say your prayers. You're going to die that night. He hunts at night, he hunts alone, and he hunts to eat. I've studied the leopard. He can take a 150-pound man, and he'll have to do this to stay away from the other wild animals that would steal his kill. He can take a 150-pound man in his jaws and climb to the top of a tree with him. He And Alexander the Great was one of the greatest military geniuses that's ever lived. He's even been studied, I've been told, at West Point. He does everything unconventional. People don't expect what he does. Well, he over he subjugates, or well, he has four generals, Cassander, Lysacomus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Well, the beast with iron teeth, that's Rome. They never do. These generals wanted to have an empire. When Alex the Great died, he was about uh, 28 to 30 years old, around 320, some say 320, some say 323 B.C. He was about that age, and the beast with iron teeth, that's Rome. Iron is always identified with Rome. Iron. You had the Nebuchadnezzar's image, the head of gold. That was that was Babylon. The breastplate of silver. That was the bear. That was Persia. The 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 uh, belly and the waist of bronze that was Alex the Great and the legs of iron that's Rome you always had iron was identified with Rome the scorpions of Romans 9 had breastplates of iron I meant to bring my scorpion books today but I've got a couple of books I bought at the bookstore 20 years ago I guess tell you all about scorpions and how that Their breastplate tells you what family they belong to. In the ninth chapter of Revelation, these scorpions, which are false teachers, have breastplates of iron. So the iron always shows Rome, or we might say Roman Catholicism, because they're one and the same thing. Now, the beast carries Israel away. Daniel is over in Babylon, as you're studying, always notice where these men are. Always notice. Daniel and Ezekiel are in Babylon. Babylon. 
Daniel and Ezekiel. Jeremiah is over here. He never left. When they were carried away into captivity, the reason I go up like this, all of this green part, that is the Arabian Desert. You can't cross. You can't come from Babylon over across here. All your people would die. They'd be out there in the wilderness of the desert. They'd be dying of thirst. So any time the Bible says that Babylon came from the east, they did. But they didn't turn right around. And other verses say Babylon came from the north. Always when someone is going to come down to Egypt or attack Israel, they had to come up north and come down from the north. But they came from the east. You have to understand that. So, God had Babylon come in and carry Israel captive. Then Babylon is overthrown. Babylon came in 586 B.C. And then Persia comes along. Think Iraq. Think, Think Iran. Iran was the head nation. Persia came along and overthrew Babylon. These were all these were all kings. There was a question on Jeopardy yesterday and they asked the question about Xerxes. I just said that's any Xerxes is always Persian. Mary said, Did you know that? I said, Yeah, I knew that. If it's Xerxes Or Artaxerxes. That'll always be Persian. Then Persians are overthrown by Greece. That was nothing but a miracle. They didn't have near as many people as they had in the Persian army. But he would he had all these inventions. He had some of the craziest things. They had something called a phalanx. Sometimes they'll show that in some special on TV. A phalanx was a group of soldiers in a square. And these guys here would have their spears pointing out this way. They would some guy have some guy like calling a cadence in an army, telling everybody to march this way. <laughs> And they had their spears pointing like this. And they all moved together. And if one of them was killed, another one would step up and take his place where he was. And this phalanx, not hardly anybody could stand against. You get a thousand people against a phalanx and have a couple of hundred people in a phalanx. And it was just deadly. Nobody could get to them. Their spears were piercing both sides. That was one of Alex the Great's invention. He just was a genius. And I've said before, I'll say it again, I saw this in a a special on Alexander the Great. If he it, he was trying to figure out how to stop chariots. And in this documentary they said he found out he studied the horses, not the chariots. How do you stop a chariot? You simply open up a section like a little garage 
you just open it up, you have your men step back, and you said a horse will go in there and stop. Then they could fall upon the chariot driver, kill him, and they've got the chariot. He figured that out himself. So he was phenomenal as a military leader. And then Rome took over. People say, but the beast wasn't there in the first century. I say, who do you think's ruling the world in the first century during Jesus' day? It was the iron, it was the beast of iron. The one with iron teeth. Rome. Nero. Caligula. Those insane maniacs were ruling. That's who was killing all the Christians. Now, i got to get back to the subject. So Daniel is over here in Babylon after they're being carried away. Daniel's in Babylon. In Babylon. He's praying. How long are we going to be here? And the angel, Gabriel, comes to him about the time of the evening sacrifice and says, Seventy sevens are determined upon your people. Seventy times seven. Why? That's 490. It says 70 weeks. But it's not the word weeks. It's weeks of years. What these are, these are every seven years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Always do that because that's so elementary you can understand it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They had 70 sets of these sabbatical years that you find in Leviticus, the 25th chapter. They had to let the land lie fallow every seven years. They couldn't plant. They couldn't harvest anything. You can read all about that in the 25th chapter of Leviticus. That's the one law that the Jews hated more than anything. They said, we can't go one year without... God said, I'll fill up your storehouses. You'll have more in those six years than you can possibly eat. But they wanted to keep planting, so they went after these other fertility gods that let them plant every year. The only problem is, I keep saying it, it was just like some farmer out in the Midwest. If a farmer has a thousand acres, he can't plant them with the same crop every year. If he does, he'll drain the ground of all of its nutrients and his and his property won't grow anything. And they went 70 sets of those years without letting the land lie fallow. The Bible says that Israel has to that Israel has to let the land enjoy her Sabbaths. And that's exactly what God said I'll do. So what he says, he says there's a time period from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. I'm going to put up here one more time. From the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, that's in Nehemiah, the second chapter. The commandment is given to restore and build Jerusalem by Artaxerxes.
That's for the city, to rebuild the city. There were three other decrees before that. This was in 445, 44, somewhere in that neighborhood, B.C. There was one in 457 that was also given by Artaxerxes. I'll call him Art. You'll understand that name. (laughs) That's Art down there. Uh, 457 B.C., that was concerning the temple. There was one in 520 B.C. to reinforce the decree that was in 538 B.C., which was to rebuild the temple, rebuild temple, and this one in 520 by Darius, this one was by Cyrus here, the Persian king, this was by Darius, the Mede-Persian king, in 520, and that was to reinforce this decree here. So these are all the decrees, but this is the one we're talking about. From the going forth the command of the priest to build Jerusalem unto the prince, Messiah, Jesus, will be seven weeks. This is in verse 25 of chapter 9. Seven weeks, three score, and two weeks. A score is 20. Three score is 60. 60 plus 2, 62 plus 7, 69 of the weeks will end right there when Jesus comes to Jerusalem. There'll be a 2,000 year period of the Gentile New Testament Israel, spiritual Israel, the Gentile church. And at the end of that, I am sure that's when the 70th week comes. And this will be the end of time. The 70th week coincides with Daniel 9.27 and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week of years and in the midst of the week he'll cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. That's what Daniel 9.27 says. In the middle of the week, he'll cut the week in two. But these are weeks of years. But since we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about weeks of Jewish years. The Jewish year was... 360 days. Our year is 365. So when you find 360 days in a year, and any time you find in the midst of the week, Daniel 9.27, and Daniel 7.24 and 25 speaks of a time, time, and half a times. That's three and a half years. And in Daniel 12 and 7, a time, time, and half a times. That's three and a half years. In Revelation 11, 2 and 3, 2 says 42 months. That's half of 84 months. That's how many months there are in a year, in seven years. Seven years. 
and then Daniel, then Revelation 12, 6, 14, 6 says 1,200. It actually says 1,203 score days. A score is 20, three score is 60. That's 1,260 days or half of seven years on a Jewish calendar. And then 42 months in Revelation 13 and 5. Why did you put all that on the board? I've been putting it on the board. I have wrestled with this for years. I knew, according to, let me just read verse 25 one more time. Verse 25, Daniel 9. There's not one preacher out of 10,000 that can preach the 70 weeks of Daniel. They don't know enough about it. So, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, Daniel, the Jews, because of all their apostasy, and upon thy holy city. But God's holy city in the New Testament cannot be literal Jerusalem. Because literal Jerusalem is called in the 11th chapter of Revelation, Sodom and Egypt. So his holy city would be heavenly Jerusalem, the church there in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. So upon his holy city to do six things. When these six things are done, there'll be no more sin upon the earth. To finish the transgression of Israel, going after Baal, Grove, Shemosh, Molech, Venus, Aphrodite, all those gods they went after. They went after hundreds of them. That's why God scattered them. And to make an end of Israel's sins. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. Reconciliation, kafar, is the same word as atonement. Kafar. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. When everlasting righteousness is brought in, there'll be no more sin in the world. This has to be at the end of time. And to seal up the vision prophecy. Seal means to stop. It means to stop all the prophecy that's supposed to happen. It'll happen till the end of time. When you read these things, this has to be talking about the end. And to anoint the most holy. I love that. The most holy. The most holy was the inner sanctuary or the holy of holies. This is the most holy. This is the temple. There was a there was a protective fence around it. Then they had this area here. This was the Gentile court or the women's court. They were not allowed. They were not allowed inside the temple proper. Only Levites were involved in here. Levites. Now they had they had the Raisin Sea, the Solomon's Porch. They had the uh, altar, the Brazen Altar. 
Here it is over here. Let's go look at it. Let me get to it. I'll get to it. There it is. This was the sea. It had 2,000 baths in it. You can see that in the seventh chapter of First Kings. They had a labor when they first came out of Egypt, which is the little round labor, because all they had, all the high priests they had was Aaron and his four sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. Well, those four could bathe it that easy. But as they grew and the tribe of Levi grew, and these were all Levites on the inside here, and that was the sea, and this is the altar over here where they offered up all the sacrifices. And this is going into the temple. A lot to say about that. that they, they sat on three oxes facing south, three oxes facing East, three oxen facing west, and three oxen facing the north. And then the sea, like I said, contained 2,000 baths. They would go offer sacrifices daily on this altar, come back and wash in this sea. That's where they came up with the water baptism, where the Pharisees came up with it. Now, I was going to tell you, to anoint the most holy... The most holy, that's what the inner sanctuary was called. It was called the holy of holies or the most holy in here. It had another name. The Ark of the Covenant was here. God would come down out of the glory cloud and sit on the Ark of the Covenant and rule the people from there. They sprinkled this Ark of the Covenant. Now hearts are sprinkled. The law was written on tables of stone, kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now the law is written on fleshy tables of our hearts. Without a doubt, we are spiritual Israel. That's crazy. Preachers don't believe that. And this right here, the inner sanctuary where the priest would come in, once a year he'd offer a goat on this, not a lamb, a goat, bring the blood in, go behind this 8-inch thick veil, it's believed it was about 8 inches, and sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant once a year. Now Jesus is the blood sprinkled on our hearts once for all. Well, the inner sanctuary was called the house of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 3 and 6, Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? We are the house of God. Our hearts are sprinkled, and the high priest Melchizedek comes in and sprinkles one time our heart. Now, I don't know how long it'll take me to get through this. Probably weeks. Because what I've got to do, I discovered something last night that I've never seen before. I thought, what in the world 
because these things have to do with each other. I knew, according to the 24th verse of Daniel 9, I knew when all these things are done to anoint the most holy, the, the last person that's in the kingdom of God will come into this house. And it'll happen, I believe, in Revelation 10 and 7. At the signing of the seventh trumpet or the last trump, the mystery of God, which is the church, is finished. The word finished, teleates, means complete. The last one comes in, that's when the most holy is completely anointed. That's the house of God, and that's what we are, his house. He lives in us. You read about that in John, the 14th chapter, which says that over and over. Now, what I've, what I've been thinking about, I couldn't figure this out. I looked at this. I knew according to the 24th verse of the ninth chapter, I knew that when everlasting righteous in you at the end of time, I wanted something to say that the 70th week is with the very end. I saw something last night. I kept looking at all these chapters. There's something happening in every one of those chapters that's common to each one. There's a war going on against Israel or the saints of God that is spiritual Israel. I want us to go back to the 12th chapter of Revelation. We went through some of this in the 11th chapter. We saw, well, let me just go ahead and give you back in the 11th chapter and show you the war that's going on against the saints. People say, where does all this, when the Bible says we which are alive and survive unto the coming of the Lord, we're going to survive this great war and slaughter those of us that are alive. I don't believe everybody's going to live through this end of time situation. Not everybody that's a believer. So he says here in the 11th chapter, I just want to show you the war that's going on. 11th chapter. I don't know how to preach this without reviewing some of it. It's awful hard to preach it without telling you what's going on. I have been studying the 70 weeks of Daniel since 1964. I have put thousands of hours in it. I've got all kinds of books on it. I don't agree with most of the guys. I've never heard anybody that understands what I'm about to say. There's a war with the saints at the end of time. And that's what that 70th week is divided into. In the midst of the week, this man of sin will cause the sacrifice at the midpoint to cease. There'll be peace in the first part, war in the second part. 
and that will be evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse and that will be great tribulation such as not from the beginning of the world no nor ever shall be I believe we're headed towards it alright go back over here to the 11th chapter we talked about the two witnesses it takes two witnesses to establish any contract in Israel there in in Numbers 35 and Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 19. It takes two witnesses. And we see the two olive trees here. And the two olive trees are the two witnesses. And they're the two anointed ones that standing beside the Lord of the earth. The thing is, the two olive trees are the two anointed ones. That's according to Zechariah the fourth chapter. The two anointed ones in the Old Testament was the priest and the king. And God hath made us priests and kings. How are we kings? Because Christ is living in us. Christ is living in each one of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How does a priest do? He offers acceptable sacrifice. What is our sacrifice? Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. No one could offer any sacrifice anywhere in the Bible without being a priest. Revelation, the first chapter, verse 6 says, He hath made us priests and kings hath made his past tense says the same thing in the fourth chapter of revelation he made us priests and kings so we are the two witnesses we are the two olive trees olive oil was used to anoint the priest and the king read this fourth chapter of Zechariah with this subject now we talked about the priest and the king we saw in verse 2 the holy city which is heavenly Jerusalem the church the church is the holy city they shall tread underfoot 42 months that's the last half of that 70th week of Daniel 70 weeks and then he says here in verse 3 I gave power to my two witnesses the priest and the king and they shall prophesy against the world a thousand two hundred and three score days, twelve hundred and sixty days, which is half of seven years on a Jewish three hundred and sixty day calendar. Now that's the truth. People don't have to like that, but that's true. All right. Now I want to go down here and the priest and the king which is the church is going to be killed and it has to do with this 1260 days or 42 months they're prophesying they're preaching to the world which is what I'm doing about their sin and in verse 7 and when they the priest and the king the church the two witnesses, the two olive trees. Out of olive trees comes the olive oil, 
which is in the candlestick in the first chapter of Revelation. That's where the flame comes from. When they shall have finished their testimony, testimony is the word martyria, M-A-T-U-R-I-A. Comes from the word martyr. That's one who dies. That's one who dies for speaking out. When they shall have finished their martyrdom, the beast, the beast, the world ruling system, what if I said new world order? Ascendeth out of the bottomless pit and shall make war with the priest and the king. What if I said it this way? Shall make war with the church. Because the priest and the king is the church. Look at that real quick. Look at look at look at Revelation the first chapter. Verse six. And God hath made us hath made is aorist indicative. That's past tense. He hath made us priests, kings, and priests unto God and his father. First Peter two and nine says, We're a royal priesthood. And then look at the fourth chapter of Revelation. Verse ten. And he hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign, and we have reigned with him. And we shall continue to reign. Now go back to chapter 11. This is a lot of stuff to get. How much time to have, Mike? 43. 23? 43. 43. Boy, I've covered a lot of territory here. And shall make war with who? With the priest and the king, with the two witnesses, with the two olive trees. This all adds up when you study it with Zechariah, the fourth chapter. Because the Bible says these, Zechariah, the angel of the Lord says to Zechariah, do you know what these two olive trees are? He says, no. He says, these are the two anointed ones that represent God in the earth. And that's the priest and the king. Now, so the church is being killed at the end of time. And then it says, look in verse, or their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. There'll be dead believers all over the world. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, or three and a half years, the last three and a half years of the tribulation and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. That was an insult to the dead. It was dishonoring the dead. And they shall dwell upon the earth and shall rejoice over them and make merry. Remember, in verse 7, they make war with the two witnesses which are dead, and they die, they kill them. So they're dead lying in the streets of the world. And they dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets 
prophetia, one that speaks for another. These are the two that represent God and the earth. That's what the Bible says in verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the whole earth. It says basically the same thing in Zechariah, the fourth chapter. They represent God and the earth. That's what that means. And after three days and a half, after the end of this 70th week of Daniel, after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God, this is the post-tribulation rapture, no pre-trib rapture. After the church is killed, after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into the two witnesses, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them, and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither into the clouds into the sky, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. This is the church ascending. We which are alive and remain, or survive this great slaughter, unto the coming of the Lord, shall not go before those that are asleep, those that are dead in Christ. But we shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is the end of time that's tied up with a thousand two hundred and three score days. After that, they preach, they're killed, and they're taken out to meet the Lord in the air. And now let's go down here to now let's go down here to back to chapter 12. This whole chapter is about the serpent being at war with Israel. Israel was called a virgin, especially when she was obedient to God. Let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 12. We see in this chapter 12, we see in verse 6 and verse 14. Verse 6, we see 1260 days. A time, time, and half a times. Let's look at verse 6 and 14. Just look at 6 right now. The woman fled into the wilderness. What woman? The woman in verse 1. The woman is Israel, and the serpent or the beast is going to declare war against her. Let me go back to verse 1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. The stars and the moon were used in the Old Testament times to represent peoples. In the 37th chapter of Genesis, Joseph had a dream and he told his brothers and his mother and father that the the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed to worship him. And that upset Jacob, his father. He said, you mean me and your mother are going to bow to you? But it was a dream that God had given him about when he got to Egypt, and he's going to ascend above all the people in Egypt and be second only to the Pharaoh of Egypt because he interpreted his dreams and told him how to save Egypt from a great famine. 
because there's going to be seven good years and then seven bad years. And so he said, make up, put up storehouses for these first seven years. That'll be the seven good years, and there'll be enough to last through the seven bad years. He was the savior of Egypt, and his father and his brothers would come over and bow to him, just like he prophesied. So he prophesied that his mother was the moon, his father was the sun, and his 11 brothers that were left. Hey, there's 12 sons of Jacob. He was the 11th. And the 12 sons come and the 11 sons come and bow to him. And then he says, let's read this again. We know it's not, it's not Mary because of what it says about the woman. She runs into the wilderness when the serpent declares war against her. Now, let's read verse 2. She being with child cried, travailing in birth. It'll tell you who the child is in the next two verses. And pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. This is the same thing as the beast. You can see that in chapter 13, verse 1. It's the same thing. The beast, I don't know how preachers can preach without a map or something. Here's the beast. If you can look at a map and see it, here it is right here. The base is Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, coming up out of the sea. It's got its boundaries on the sea. This is the only sea that all Bible people knew of. They knew nothing about the Atlantic Ocean, nothing. Entire Bible land is in this area right here. That's everything in the Bible. Israel is on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. No one had any understanding of the truth but Israel all the rest of this was the bottomless pit bottomless pit is the word abusos a-b-u-s-s-o-s it comes from the word bathos means a place of great knowledge that's called the deep things of God deep is this word deep in 1 Corinthians the second chapter so it's the great knowledge of God the alpha in front of a word as a negative particle negates the word gives an opposite meaning abathos is the word abusas or our word abyss and it means no knowledge The sea was a place of no knowledge. None of these people, none of these Gentiles had any knowledge of God, only Israel. They're the only ones it came to. So they didn't have any knowledge, not till Acts, the second chapter. That's when God came to the Gentile, and he had a Gentile elect church that he's going to call for the last 2,000 years. Now, Let's keep reading. 
This whole chapter is about at war with the woman in the first verse. You'll see that. But you got to know where to go and what to look for to see this. And she being with child, travailed in birth. And verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. One more time, look at 13 and 1. And I stood on the sand of the Mediterranean Sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, rise up out of the sea with seven heads and ten horns. Same thing as the verse, as the red dragon in verse 3 of chapter 12. Same thing. But I'm going to define those words. Dragon does not mean a fire-breathing dragon, St. George and the dragon in England back in medieval times. That's not what it's talking about. Dragon is the word dracon. And it doesn't mean something that's breathing fire. It means to fascinate. Has the basic same meaning as the serpent in 3 and 1 of Genesis. Serpent. Nakash. It means to enchant. I like one writer's definition. He said it meant to kill with the eye. Eve looked at the tree. Kill with the eye. To kill with the eye is idolatry. Idolatry, I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. It means to serve la truo. What you ido, what you see. What you put into your eyes and ears. Ecclesiastes one eight says, All things are full of labor. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. The mouth won't simply utter and say, I like her, I like that car. It'll labor to fulfill whatever you put in your eyes and your ears. That's idolatry. Now, get back to this. And that's the dragon. Fascinates. Kills with the eye. Now, and so we see the beast down there had seven heads and ten horns and thirteen and one. It's the same thing as a beast. Let me give you what the serpent actually is. The... Well, let's read on a little bit. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, talking about the fallen angels, a third of the angels that were in heaven, followed Satan, and did cast them to the earth. But he didn't cast the stars into the earth. He cast the stars into Hades, actually Tartarus. Because, oh, let me go over there to Second Peter. Second Peter. I'll do it real quick. Second Peter, the second chapter, 
verse 4 for if God spared not the angels that sinned but cast them down to hell that's not the common word hell the common word hell is Hades H-A-D-E-S this is the common word hell Hades it is a form of Ido and the alpha primitive it means Ido means to see remember I used that on idolatry and the alpha negates that it means the place of the unseen and the Jews said they had a they had a over here in a tomb they had a man's body and then the same man's spirit was down in the hot place of hell and they said this was all unseen that the righteous man was not seen in a sepulcher and he went to the good place to be in Abraham's bosom and that was the place of the unseen also so that's where his spirit was that's what Hades meant to the Jew but this is the word Tartarus T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S Tartarus means the lowest place in hell that's where the fallen angels are there's no such thing as fallen angels being demons every time you see angel in the New Testament angelos that's the word angel in the Greek angel means messenger all the messengers of God and all the angels when they're referred to are masculine gender whenever the Bible refers to demons D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N when the Bible refers to them not men in the Bible when the Bible refers to them they're always neuter gender that means they don't exist so angels are not demons forget that the guys that came up with that looked for something to invent they were looking at definitions of words and they were, look, were not looking at genders I can't believe people believe what they believe about that stuff now where was I let's go back was I reading something over there Second Peter he just said they are in Tartarus and delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Reserved is the word tereo, T-E-R-E-O. It means they are guarded. That means to secure something from loss. They're guarded in Tartarus and not allowed to escape until the judgment. So the air is not filled with demons. The air is not filled with fallen angels. The evil in his man is in his own heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We don't believe in demons here. You can't get there by definition and gender. I have done probably 150 or 200 messages just on demons. I've hit it every way you can think of. They're not there. If the heart is deceitful above all things, and a demon is a thing because it's new to gender, 
Your heart is a lot more evil than demons if you if there is such a thing. Which there's not. Demon daemonion means to distribute fortunes and the love of money is the root of all evil. All evil comes from the flesh. Alright. So they're they're locked in Tartarus. Let's go back over here to chapter 12. The red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. A head was a capital city of an empire. That's what it was. So was a mountain. And so were horns. They were powers. Horns, heavens, and mountains were all the same thing. You can look up Mount, M-O-U-N-T, and McClinic and Strong, and that's what it'll tell you. All right. Now look here in, uh, let's go back to chapter 12 of Romans. And she, who is she? It's the woman in the first verse that has a crown of stars. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who would that be? Going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Us. Well, it would be Christ. Christ is the one that, when he comes back in the 19th chapter of Revelation, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. And the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And the one who rules with a rod of iron, we do rule with a scepter of righteousness while we're here. But this is talking about the birth of Christ here. He he does rule through us. Thank you, Dave. That's really true. He was caught up unto God and to his throne. That's talking about after he died, he ascended there in Acts, the first chapter. And in, he tells the apostles, as, the, as you see the Son of Man going into heaven, he'll return in the same way. And then he says, and the woman fled into the wilderness. Does that say Mary Mary flees into the wilderness from the first verse? That proves the woman is not Mary. She flees in the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they shall feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. The serpent is making war against Israel, the church. There's a war going on here, isn't there? And you want to know who the serpent is? Look over here in Revelation 20. You've got to describe everything by what is written in the other chapters. And here in chapter 20, verse 2. I saw an, well, let's read verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven, and the key of the place of no knowledge, bottomless pit, in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the fascinator, that old serpent, which is the devil. So, notice something here. The dragon is the serpent and he is the devil so let me put it on the board this way 
the dragon. Let me erase some of this up here. The dragon is the serpent. The dragon, Dracon, the one who fascinates, is the serpent. Equals the devil. They're all the same. That's actually defining it right there. The dragon, which is the serpent, is the devil, Diabolos. The one who traduces, deceives. He's a traducer, one who tries to carry you away from the truth into fascination. All right. Now, let's get back to that 12th chapter. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his one-third of the angels in heaven. Remember we talked about that last time. When you want to know where the nature of Satan is, look in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning God created, and then the earth was without form, void and darkness. That's the nature of Satan. When Michael cast Satan into the earth, he had to be cast in somewhere between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Because create is a righteous word, and without form is an unrighteous word. Without form, tohu, means worthless. Isaiah forty-five eighteen. Isaiah. I know I said this the last time, forty-five eighteen. I don't think I can say these things too many times. It says everything God created. He did not create in vain. And that is the word tohu, the same word in Genesis 1-2, without form. God did not create in Genesis 1-1 the thing that's going on in Genesis 1-2. He did not. That had to be where Michael the archangel cast Satan into the earth. Had to be by the process of mathematical elimination you have to take Satan into the earth where you find his first nature and then God picked up Adam of that corrupt dust everything's corrupt that's dust here the earth is not pure the stars are not clean the moon is not clean the Bible says that he corrupted all this sphere called our universes and he picked up Adam and said, Thou shalt not, and you can't keep from sinning, because the day you do, you will die spiritually. That's what he told Adam. The day you do, you will die. Not if you do. You will eat. You're made of corruption. He had to eat. And that's where we got our sin nature from, the fact that he was made of corruption. 
He's made it the same thing we are. This corrupt dust right here. It don't matter what people think. It's the truth. And people don't like the gap theory. It's more of a theory to say the earth is 6,000 years old than it is to say there's millions of years between verse 1 and verse 2. Add a little bit of physics, a little bit. I studied physics in high school, and I learned that light traveled at 186,000 miles every second. Well, when he created the stars in the first verse and the sun and the moon and it starts racing towards the earth some of the stars that we see at night have been burned out for millions of years and the light is still speeding here it's crazy but it's the truth now so with a little bit of review on Michael and the angels in verse 8 chapter 12 and they prevail not, neither was there a place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, Diabolos, and Satan. So the serpent, Satan, and the devil are all the same thing. Satan, Satanos, means adversary which deceiveth the whole world. Not everybody in the world. The word whole, holos, means the world that exists. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out into Tartarus with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. We said last week, depends on the context I believe this context here you had heavens being the governing class the heavens wherever God is and I don't know where that is and the heavens where the birds fly there's three heavens but the heavens spiritually was the ruling class of people and I heard a loud voice saying in the heaven now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God, kingdom of God was a term for Israel. Because he was their king in the Old Testament, in the 12th chapter of 1 Samuel, 13th chapter of Hosea. And the power of his Christ, for the accuser of the brethren, the word Satan means accuser of the brethren, is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. What in the world does that mean? Overcame has to do with a fight. Overcome is the word. Nikao. And here's how they overcame Satan. Overcome. Every time you see it in the Bible, it is the word nikao. That's the verb form of the word nike, nike. We get the word Nike from that. If you wear Nike shoes, 
you get to outrun everybody on the field. Don't you believe that? <laughs> Nikkei is the word victory. And what is the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith. So everything that faith is, faith is death to self. Being death to self, that's the victory that you overcome the world with. If you learn. I said this to Dave here just recently. If you learn that everything that's going on, good and bad in your life, is God's working. It's everything that's happening. He works all things after the counts of his own will. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So if everything is working for good, the sooner we can get that in our heads. That's the one thing that has made me healthier than I used to be. I used to be dying in my 40s. Nobody here would know how sick I was. My boss boy. I tell Mary I'm not going to live to be 50. I was fighting for breath every day, all day long. Do you know how frightening that is? Scary. I couldn't breathe. I, I, my bronchial tubes were so swollen up and inflamed. I'd get up in the middle of the night and run down the hall and say, Mary, Mary, get up, get up, get up. I'm having, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Get me to the hospital. <laughs> Just could not get any breath in my lungs. And I learned. You know when a lot of that started going away? When I really learned what I preach, I started preaching myself into conviction. About my mid-60s, I just started saying, what I'm preaching is true. I don't know why I'm fighting people. There ain't no need to fight. When God is doing everything, He's even raising your enemy up against you to make you angry. So He can teach you how to settle down and teach you that you cannot fight people and get the thing resolved. It can't be done. I started having better health in my 70s. Probably somewhere in my mid-60s I started saying, I believe what I'm saying. I'm going to start believing this and quit worrying about somebody hassling me or stealing from me. I really believe when you come to that place you don't get well but your health gets better I absolutely am positively convinced of that stress will kill you I've had doctors tell me that I told my heart doctor you work all the time you're stressing out all the time why don't you take some of your own advice and stop that I tell my doctors that They work for money, 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 more money, money, money. That's the only reason they're working. I had one neurosurgeon, I told him, I said, you work all the time. His wife said he's at the hospital operating on people all day into the night, gets up at 6 o'clock in the morning, goes to the hospital again, comes in at 9 or 10 at night, eats his supper and goes right to bed. I said, why don't he stop? He's very rich. They like money. They like dirt. Now let's go back over here to 12th chapter. 
and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. What does the blood of the lamb do? He has washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's true baptism. A blood baptism was a death. It was death to self. When you can kill off self because you say all this is of God and you believe it's all happening because God wants it to happen. Jim Brown, I came to that point. But I was stressed out for 25 or 30 years. I thought I was going to die. I did not believe I could live after that siege I had in my 40s for about two, three years. And I had been sick for 25 years. And the only thing made me better, I started believing my message on the sovereignty of God and practicing it daily. Now, do I have any time? Eight. Huh? Eight. What do you say? Eight. Eight. Let's see if we can read the rest of this. So they overcame. Overcome means means nikao. You overcome and you have a victory, Nike, by faith. And a blood of the Lamb is a blood baptism. Faith is death to self. A blood baptism is death to self. So, the way you overcome is dying to the flesh. See, what they do to me don't matter. And by the word of their testimony has the same meaning as a blood baptism and overcoming testimony martyria comes from the word martyr meaning to die death to self is the only way to live life and they love not their lives unto the death you come to the place you say it don't matter Paul said, I will not fear what men shall do unto me. The Lord is my helper. I don't really care anymore what people do to me. If I don't like it, I just walk away from them, get away from them. The Bible says, have no fellowship with unfulfilled works of darkness, but rebuke them. And if they don't repent, say, I have to go now. Bye. Well, don't even say bye. And then they say, verse 12, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Heavens was the ruling class. How can heavens up in the sky rejoice? They can. The rulers rejoice because you're ruling with the blood of Christ. You don't rule with a Pentecostal, plead the blood. That's stupid. A blood baptism was a death. You can find that under blood in McClinic and Strong. Look at the very last page and it had blood baptism and an article on it. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and sea, for the devils is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth they have but a short time. He don't have long to operate. So he wants to deceive everybody he can. Verse 13. When the dragon, the dracon, the fascinator, saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman in the first verse. That wasn't Mary. That was Israel. There's a war going on here. 
which brought forth the man-child that would rule with the rod of iron in that fourth verse. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. To have wings of an eagle, that's mentioned several times in the Old Testament, meant to to go with great speed. It was said that in that Babylon in the seventh chapter of Daniel had the wings of an eagle. And the Bible says concerning us in the book of Jeremiah that if we they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, the man up with wings as eagles. And to the woman were given two wings for a great of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place the wilderness would be here on earth a place of safety where she is nourished for a time and times and half time from the face of the serpent there's a war going on between Israel here every time time times and half a time is mentioned or 1260 days there's a war and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood I want to go into that do I have any time look here at Isaiah 28 real quick Isaiah 28 what is the flood that's coming out of the mouth of the beast Isaiah 28 See if I can get this in real quick. Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28. God is woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim. Ephraim was ruling northern Israel and they're carried away into captivity by this time. And then he says in verse 2, Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one. It's going to be one of these great leaders of Assyria, which has a tempest of hail and destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing shall cast down to earth with his hand. There's an overflowing flood. Look at Isaiah 8. This will tell you what that overflowing flood is. You've got to use many verses to define one. Chapter 8 of Isaiah, verse 7. Therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth upon Israel the waters of river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria. That's the great flood. It's called the flood waters throughout here. It's a great river. And all his glory and shall come up over all the channels and go over all his banks like a river. So we go back to Revelation 12. The river that overcomes the woman is the world beast system. Carries away into captivity, attacks the church. And then in verse 16, And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. He cast out of his mouth false doctrine. 
trying to drown the woman, the church, Israel. One more verse. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, Israel, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. War. Every time you find, time times, half a times, 1260 days, there's a war going on every time in the Bible. I'm going to show you that as we study it more. I'm running out of time, and my voice is getting hoarse. I've had a little bit of bronchitis lately, but could you all hear me? Yeah. Oh, you can hear me. Okay, good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for truth. What a magnificent God you are to let us see these truths. Thank you so much. We pray that you'll fight our battles. We're in a war. We need your help. Our big war is with our flesh, Lord. Thank you for letting us see that. Cause us to continue this work. Strengthen the sheep. Make them strong in the word. And we've got enemies that would destroy us. Stop them, Lord. You're able to do that. Lead us to elect. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. I'm seeing some things about this woman and those 42 months I have never seen before. You gotta tie overcome with it because that's has to do with the war. And we're at war. And when the Bible says, I have fought a good fight, that's war. We're at war with our flesh more than anything. <laughs> 